much missing for doing this. Um, I was thinking about this conversation when um, when I found out we'd be doing that, and I was like, I was like, I am so out of my depth here. She she has more experience in this domain than I like longer experience in this domain than I've been alive. I'm I'm all of twenty four right now. And seventy. Say that again. I'm seventy. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you've been you've been you're 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 journalistic royalty in a way, right? And so for me, somebody who's so interested in this let's say a newer form of journalism if it's not precisely fact finding it's more on the side of like opinion but it's still i'd still consider it new age media of some nature thank you so much for doing this you're welcome i'm happy to be here right um so we were just going off about how um you know media storms when we look back at them with the privilege of hindsight once say the cyclone is over they appear to be very different from what is happening while we are inside it Mm-hmm. and the last cyclone that i saw get evaporated is the whole bollywood fiasco mm-hmm. right and i think it's so interesting because now that i look back it seems more like an attempt to maneuver power or shift hands of power than anything at all that was claimed um prime of asai Yes. Do you think that makes sense or am I being too aggressive? Am I being too harsh? No, 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 you are absolutely right. I actually wrote in my column this weekend, two days ago, about exactly this because you see, they've been, I met a man, uh, which I write in the column, um, some years ago uh, in 2015 in, in Delhi. And he's one of the RSS intellectuals. I don't want to name him because it was a private conversation. And unlike my son, I don't reveal private conversations. You know, I don't reveal names. But anyway, he said to me that you know Bollywood was was on target for the RSS because they didn't like the kind of stuff that was going on in Bollywood, and there are too many Muslims in Bollywood. And he said, "Ye jo khan hai, inki taqat ko zada hai, aur ham ab Hindu larkon ko tayar kar rahe hain ki taaki unke six packs vagera ho jaye, aur wo inko challenge kar sakein." So this is an old um, RSS idea, uh, which really begins almost in the first few months of Modi becoming prime minister. And it's because the values that that Bollywood represents have no place in India today. You know, I mean, um, you see the, the brutish side of the new values in Uttar Pradesh and on, on social media, you know, with the trolls, et cetera. But love jihad isn't a small thing for them. They really believe that Muslims in India um, go around hunting out pretty Hindu girls to seduce and marry and, you know. And so Bollywood, which doesn't um, accept these ideas of caste and religion and where interfaith marriage has been common since the beginning of Bollywood, hmm? Mm. they really don't like this because you see, it's sort of, diminishes the idea of India that they're trying to create and they are creating a new idea. Hmm. There's so many, so many places I kind of sort of want to go from here. Um, but let me try. So it seems like, and I think it's only for the better that once a different meritocratic characteristic takes precedence, mm-hmm. ideas of identity sort of become secondary. So say for instance, and I'm no fan of Bollywood, just as a disclaimer, 
say I'm as soon as I'm a huge fan of Bollywood. You're, you're, I'm a real admirer of Bollywood. Oh, you are. I believe that it has it's Bollywood that has reflected the changes in India better than we in the media have. Hmm. Hmm. Bollywood, if you go back in the 60s, it was a kind of, you know, the beginning of a new era where there was, you know, the, the they were just beginning to grasp that the old middle class viewership was changing. And, you know, and then if you see in the 60s, they, they have Shami Kapoor and all that kind of thing and a new, a happy new India. And by 75, when the emergency is declared, they begin to talk of the angry young man without realizing that they, actually they were reflecting a political reality. So I'm a big fan, but anyway, go on. Right. My, my point is as soon as artistic, um, say, skill becomes more important, it seems like in all institutions, in all hierarchies, physic, physical or, or ethnic identities become more secondary, right? And it seems like, <clears throat> it seems like for that reason, Bollywood has sort of become the last fortress of or last standing tall fortress of some kind of a secular vision of India. And I don't even know if the word secular is safe to use in our times. Like there was a point in time where secular was obviousness, but there is, there have been so many revelations. There have been so many discussions and discourses that have sort of changed my mind, or at least made me unsure of using secular. Um, and I wonder my, 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 my concern is what what are these values that Bollywood sort of embodies that um, do not gel with this new idea of India that is being created? Well, you see, don't use the word secular because nobody, no political party in India has a right to use that word. In fact, initially I began my support from Narendra Modi because I felt that he was targeted um, in a way that other chief ministers who presided over much worse massacres and a prime minister who justified the only real pogrom in India, which was against the Sikhs. And, you know, no, every, nobody thought that Rajiv Gandhi was a villain mm. or that, you know, um, nobody even remembers the names of the chief ministers of Uttar Pradesh who presided over much worse riots. So I actually supported him on that because I thought that the idea that secularism is the binding glue of India, etc., is wrong. What is the binding glue of India is the Sanatan Dharma. The idea that everyone has a right to worship the way they want to and to, to, to understand, you know, religion in their way. And Dharam, you know, there's no word for Dharam in, in Sanskrit or Hindi. It's Mazhab. I mean, there's no word for Mazhab. Dharam doesn't mean that. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, I mean, if you want to sit down and, you know, put a little tikka on a piece of stone and say, this is my ish, that's fine. And Bollywood somehow reflects that idea of the Sanatan Dharma. That, mm. you know, even if you're a Dalit and if you're, if you're a good actor and they accept you, if the, bo the box office is the only thing that matters in Bollywood, right? Mm. So, if, so it, they leave it to the people to judge. Mm. And I think that that, you know, that that is a wonderful idea. It is actually India's greatest contribution to the world, in my view, is this very modern idea of religion, mm. which is find your way, mm. you know, and it's gone to the West as Buddhism, but actually it's, it is the Sanatana Dharma. Right. It's the idea. And, you know, there is no, there's no book 
There's no Messiah banging you. By the way, you must talk about my book, Messiah Modi. It's right, 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 right. But there isn't a, a son of God or a messenger of God or anything like that, you know. And if you think that, that, that you know, there are the avatars of Vishnu, go ahead and believe that. Hmm. And even there, you know, you have a choice, hmm. right? You know, Buddha, Krishna, Ram, whatever. So hmm. Bollywood, in many ways, uh, in fact, in every sense really expresses that wider idea of India, of mm. being a very generous country, even when it has come up with faiths like Christianity and Islam, which say, you know, you're a heathen and we're going to break your temples. Even that they managed to deal with. Now what they're doing is, is to try and reopen the wounds of history and put chilies into them and mm. make and hatred into them. And that is a very sad thing because, you know, they won't be able to destroy Bollywood. You mm. know, I mean, Hitler tried to destroy popular culture in Germany and didn't succeed. Mm. And they won't be able to destroy it. But even the effort that they're making is, in my view, very, very dangerous and very worrying. Just, just to be clear, because this is a very interesting notion. I'd never thought of Bollywood as representing any form of Sanatana Dharma up until, but I take that. And would you then be saying that it is this exemplary display of the libertarian idea of religion or for that matter, identity that Bollywood sort of encapsulates that is not compatible with say the current government's new idea of India. Is that, is that what you're saying that Sanatan Dharam is, is not okay with them? It's not, it's not at all okay with them that Salman Khan on when there's Ganpati going on is busy, you know, doing puja in his house. Mm. And Shah Rukh Khan does the same. And it's not at all okay with them that, um, that you know, I mean, you go to anyone in Bollywood, any house, they'll have murtis and, and you know, they'll pray on Eid if you want them to. And, you know, it, it really is India mm. as it has always been. It, it, it's because people come there from so many states and so many different places that it really embodies that really profound idea mm. of, um, of generosity when it comes to religion, mm. right? And with these guys, they don't want that generosity because they're dealing with those wounds of history. Mm. So, you know, for them, Bollywood represents all the things that they despise. Mm. Mm. because the present narrative is sort of that we've forgotten and made peace with those yeah. wounds of history instead of treating them what is yeah. the legitimacy of something like that have we not treated those wounds is the way bollywood proceeded to say using just bollywood as a placeholder not treating the wounds instead ignoring it instead harmonizing it at the cost of you know actually healing it um, well, you know, now let's get beyond Bollywood because this right. is a much deeper question. Mm -hmm. And we haven't dealt with the, uh, the wounds of history, okay? Um, we've forgotten them. But I'll tell you that as a Sikh, um, when I go to that Gurdwara in which they buried alive two of Guru Gobind Singh's grandsons, not grandsons, his sons, mm. they were asked to convert to Islam. And by the the governor of where, where is that wretched Gurdwara? It's somewhere in the Punjab. I think it's somewhere near Malay. And I've even forgotten the name of the Gurdwara mm. because I haven't been there in a long time. But these boys were seven and eight. 
And every day the Muslim governor would come and say, convert to Islam and you'd be freed. And finally they end up being buried alive because they refuse to convert to Islam. Hmm. Now I'm not a big, you know, religious person, but I can't go into that uh, Gurdwara hmm. without feeling that wound of history. Hmm. Right? And it, similarly, when I, I remember the first time I went to Krishan Janbhumi, which was going to be the next campaign, um, I remember it was Janmashtami and we went down under an Eidga hmm. to this cell, which has to this day, when you go in there, I don't know whether you've been, have you? I don't think so. Not, you, not you in my You go in there and you, you, you know for sure that Krishna was born in that dungeon, hmm. you know? And over it is um, an Eidga. Now, I really think that there should have been something like a kind of, you know, like the like Mandela did in South Africa, you know, where you have a truth commission hmm. and get all your Shankaracharyas and your Malvis and everybody to come together and say, look, this is what hurts us. Hmm. And we want to, we have to recognize that temples were broken. We have to acknowledge, in my view, they should, the Muslims should come together and say, give back Krishna Janbhumi and give back the hmm. Vishwanath Mandir in Banaras. Hmm. And now let's stop. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, unfortunately, what they did was they stopped at Somnath, mm. you know, so there was the, you know, the Ayodhya thing. And then, you know, because the, the so-called distortion of secularism, mm -hmm. it was encouraged by Indira Gandhi and Rajiv Gandhi, this whole Hindutva thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it, none of them are secular. Mm -hmm. They're just politicians mm -hmm. who want to divide people. But this lot wants to do a little bit more and they want to pour, I don't know, pour, pour chilies and hatred into the mm. wounds of history. Mm. That I think is a bad thing. Mm. Deal with the past. Mm. You've got to deal with it. You can't pretend it didn't happen. Mm. Deal with it and move on. Mm. Right. It's very important for the latter half to happen. Like how, how long do we plan on... I'm, I'm fine with us going into the past and then, you know, healing our wounds, but how long are we going to dwell on it? And how long are we going to dwell at, dwell on it at the cost of our own domestic peace? And, and, and if that, it may not arrive tomorrow, but we must have an answer because it seems like what happens is that there is an overt denial, but there is an explicit display of, um, let's just say communal boundaries. Hmm. Right, that 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 get propagated through acts of omission more often than overt acts of commission. And and for 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 people like myself, for people who are interested, who may even be interested enough to go out and search for how to make sense of this country that I'm born in, because I have I I, I have a very unique um, me and my generation has a very unique uh, conundrum. Uh, which is to the effect of we were raised in schools with a different concept of India than we have, what we're facing right now. And it's, it's very hard tell to me, sort of... Tell me, tell me what that concept was. Like, you know, I, I always used to wonder when we'd be taught unity and diversity as a slogan. Like that was such an emphatic slogan. And I'd wonder even then, I was like, why is that something we're proud of? Like just on a first principle level. And the more I discovered, the more I read into politics, the more I realized, first of all, diversity is a bloody problem. Not in the sense where it should be eliminated, but that it is a problem to handle. There is too many pieces on the board suddenly. And then this, this idea of unity and diversity, this hand-holding picture of a Christian or Sikh, Muslim and a Hindu is not, is pretty Bollywood. 
you know one way of saying that it's pretty bollywood and not as 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 real or as as say integral to the vision of india um mm. as imagined by our leaders and much like you back in 2014 i was very fond of the idea of modi you know i was like finally somebody is willing to put everything else aside and they're going to talk economics because say what you will if there is no jobs and if there's no money and if there's no flow of cash in the economy all cultural wars all narrative wars all cultural ideas will dissolve into violence super quick hmm. there is just no other way to sustain it right yeah. and and the the more i waited and the more i saw came to this like the 2019 election was more confusing than mm. clear after 5 years of modi right mm-hmm. and it was it wasn't just for me but were the, you here or were you in the state i was still there i was still there but i was keeping an eye i was keeping an eye um it was more confusing in the sense that there wasn't nobody else to trust but i didn't know how much i could trust mr modi with my government anymore mm. right right and it creates this sort of a cognitive dissonance kind of a phenomena where i'm left defending somebody i don't truly trust mm. because the alternative is just so much worse or yeah. if not right there's deeper wounds there is no alternative right there is no alternative mm. and so a lot of people who have the best of interests for for the nation for the community for the society in their heart don't know how to resolve this this conundrum for themselves see i really i mean i i i've written it often i supported modi because he said hum ek naye raste pe chalenge leke jayenge desh ko ek nayi disha mein ha aarthik rajnitik wagaira he never mentioned hindutva hmm. at that point all that he talked about was ek nayi aarthik disha which is hmm. exactly what we need to do right. because you know let's not um, you know mince words the the economy that was created under socialism has been the ruin of india mm. india has no reason to be a poor country he used to say this modi used to say i can't see any reason why india should be a poor country mm. but those first decades after independence till till the reform process when all they did was they stopped industrial licensing and india boomed for 10 years right actually more than 10 years i think the boom started in about 95 suddenly you had jobs outside government you know you don't remember you wouldn't weren't born then until then the the the, the most educated indian the guys who went to harvard and cambridge and oxford wanted a government job there was nothing else they could do there were no universities that they could work in there was nothing at all and at the lowest level all they wanted was a government job that would give them a fixed income even if it didn't last you know if it wasn't much it would last forever right mm-hmm. after 91 all he did was just just one move narsimha rao he stopped the license raj and you had you know suddenly there were gyms opening and restaurants and libraries and private universities and private airlines and you know that continued right up to madam sonia gandhi deciding that no this had to stop and we had to go back to what her, because her hero is not her husband but her mother in law mm-hmm. and so you know we went back to socialism and big welfare programs and my bap sarkar and the janta sitting there with a begging bowl high you know waiting for the crumbs that would fall out towards them so that is when the decline started in my view in 2006 2009 really mm. when she won that second election 
is for instance, now we've seen with Modi, he's won the second election and you see a, a different face. Similarly with Sonia, when she won the 2009 election, Manmohan Singh was suddenly put into retirement and you know, she took over. She was de facto prime minister waiting, keeping the seat warm for her son, right? And she went back to spending money on these huge programs that just makes Indians into beggars. So instead of creating real jobs, you create, you know, dole on a mm. massive scale and you spend crores and crores of lakhs of rupees on that. Instead of that, Modi was suggesting a new way and spoke against these very programs in the Lok Sabha. Do you remember he said, Manrega ko kabini band karunga. Kyunki maine yaad dilana hai aapko ke sattar saalon ke baad aapne jo rozgar banaya hai wo sirf ye ke aap and now then he put more money into this. Now, you know, how did that happen? What went wrong? And, you know, that's really a book in itself. It, I actually believe that, you know, when he failed with demonetization, which he thought was really, uh, you know, the magic voodoo economics, which RSS lot always believe in. Huh? And when that failed, he sort of lost confidence. So he, the reason why he won in 2019, is not confusing at all. If you were wondering about the countryside, they said, ji, pehli baar humne kam hote dekha hai. So those big programs that were leaking like sieves, he actually delivered those programs to the people. So, you know, for them, the, 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 this, they have such basic minimum needs that if you can just give them electricity and water, and clean roads and a clean village, you know, they'll vote for you. Mm. And he did that, you know, but now that, that we've been hit by COVID, mm. um, he, he seems to be completely out of his depths on what to do economically. And mm. unfortunately, the economists he have, uh, you know, he surrounded himself with are chump chats. Mm. None of them has the guts to say, sir, this is what we must do now. For instance, I am actually, you know, I live with a businessman, right? Mm. Uh, who's in the construction business and government owes him huge amounts of money, which government is not paying. So you've got a lot of other companies like that, that work with government who would be blue chip companies if you paid them, right? Mm. Secondly, you have, um, you know, other people, who you have very, very skilled, we, we have the best industrialists, the best businessmen in the world, but the regulations, the inspector Raj that he has brought in makes it impossible for them to function. It's almost a regulation a minute. Hmm. Do you know? Hmm. Now, I don't know whether you've been following the Vodafone story. A little bit. Vodafone just won its case against the government of India. Mm -hmm. the, the government of India put a retroactive tax right. on that. that I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, so it's virtually that you could go back to England and, ch and charge the East India company taxes. Huh? Right. It's right. a ridiculous law. Right. And they should have got rid of it a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But instead of that, what are they doing now? There's uh, the, 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 they've gone to the international court uh, of arbitration or whatever, whatever it's called, the tribunal that has ruled in the favor of Vodafone. And the Indian government spokesmen are still saying, no, 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 we'll go further. We're not going to allow this to happen. How is that going to work? Mm -hmm. Now, for instance, we're making the iPhone 12 mm -hmm. in India. 
I think I so. Guess, there's there's yeah. production plants, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's going mm -hmm. to be available mm -hmm. for a lakh and 20,000 in India mm. with, because the taxes are so high. Mm. But it's 84,000 in Dubai. And the ticket to Dubai, as somebody has pointed right. out, it's 20,000 rupees. I saw Dhruv post that, yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. Do you know him? He yeah, yeah. I've spoken to Dhruv once. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, I mean, how ridiculous is that? Right. Yeah. Right. The list goes on. The list goes on. Right. Like, I mean, I was a student of chartered accountancy once, and I remember reading Income Tax, the, the act. And I was like, some of this stuff makes no sense. Like, how can you tax somebody on an income they haven't earned? It's notional, yeah. but it's archaic. And we don't seem to revise our laws as often as we probably should, even though what 25% of the finance budget is dedicated to revising income tax act. It just doesn't yeah. seem to like, but here is, here is a very interesting um, notion that I was playing with, in, with, with Atish as well. And it's that when we're sitting on the outside, I see my, I see my social circles talk about these political issues and they talk about these political issues with such grand attributions. Prime Minister Modi, Rahul Gandhi is concerned with the welfare of the people, right? They have a grand vision for India. However, you know, they phrase it. There is sort of like this grandiosity, this heroic narrative, one way or the other. It might not be as poetically heroic as say Bollywood turns out to be, but it's heroic regardless. And when when you come, when you come one degree further, as probably I have, in contrast to my friend group, I realize there is a lot of like proximate local motivations, very, very like you know, um, so for instance, it seems like from the outside that he would do away with these regulations, but somehow it comes down to the fact that they double down on these regulations instead for, for some, for some other reason, or for that matter, it might seem like, you know, demonetization, what a brilliant move, but it's just some silly advice from an economist that is not as thorough as he should be. That surrounds the prime minister right now. From an economist who's not an economist. Right. Huh? Right, 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 right. As Bhagwati, who teaches in your university, right. said yes. once about an, the most important RSS economist, he said, that man's an economist, I'm a Bharatnatyam dancer. You know? <laughs> yes. Right. So is it, am I, am I correct in my understanding that this attribution problem to people we see in the media, in the news, behind the screen, is usually off key. Like if you were any closer to them, you'd realize that their motivations are very different from what we project onto them. Yes, but also I really believe that uh, that Indian schools uh, teach history very badly. Hmm. Um, you know, and so I'm very happy actually that he's, I think the best thing he's done is this new education policy, which has taken it out of the hands of the bureaucrats. Now, you know, for instance, with uh, with me, I'm uh, I'm a political journalist, mm. and but when I studied political science in St. Bede's College, Simla, I came away understanding nothing, zero. Mm. I didn't even understand different forms of government. I came out of that college, and I I read all the time. I'm a big reader. I came out without even knowing which history books to read to help me with my, you know, courses, etc. I left school at 14 because they made a mistake about the, the class that I should be in. So, you know, we don't really, and this is the highest level. This is, I can't, you know, get the best. You mm. go to an ordinary school or college right. in, in rural India and we, you feel ashamed. Mm. So, you know, I mean, in some ways, what he's doing is the right thing when he identifies education. Healthcare—they've, I think, tripled 
the amount they're going to spend on healthcare. He has identified where they've gone wrong, the Congress mm. Party. But I, I believe he should have gone further. Mm. I think that he should insist that every official elected and unelected must be used, must use those, their children must go to those schools and they must use those hospitals. Only then will it improve. So what you, you know, what you get in these in the history books that we read is, you know, Chacha Nehru is a great hero, and Mahatma Gandhi is a great Mahatma, and there can be nothing bad said about them. That's when you're in the on the secular side. When you're on the non-secular government, like we, we technically have now, then Deen Dayalupadhyay, who we nobody had ever heard of. I didn't, right. even, you know. I mean, this obscure little scholar. Hmm. whose work no one knows right. has in his name they've changed the name of Mughal Sarai railway station <laughs> you know I mean that's one of the most important junctions train junctions right. in northern India and Mughal Sarai it's it's so obvious that you shouldn't do that right. no one's ever going to call it Deen Dialopadhyay junction right. let's, be, let's be more realistic yes right you know, so it's it's those things that this hero worship, you know, we are a colonized people, mm. you know, and they didn't change, the, they didn't decolonize education mm. or the bureaucracy. So the bureaucracy builds schools, builds public goods that mm. they never need to use because mm. they are the Barasat, they're living in mansions and doing that, you know. So I was really hoping that Bodhi would concentrate on on doing those things and, you know, it's very sad for me that he's got diverted into this temples and wounds of history. Right, right. And so let, let, let me ask you this, Nan. Is, is your understanding that he's got diverted or is your understanding that it was always a conceited, you know, I'm going to distract you with this or and then I'm going to actually deliver this over the next 10 years? Like what happened? Did he get dis did he actually get distracted? Did he find that he could not take on those challenges that he'd said and then he had to resort to say lesser populist ideas? What happened? What happened in the last six years? I think that it was always in their agenda. You know, don't forget that his only education is, has been in the RSS, mm. that he was first a Pracharak, then he became, you know, I mean, he's never, he left school before he finished school, mm. right? Mm. And um, so he, his, this is how they've been brought up, you know, on, on a kind of hostility towards, towards Muslims for a start, you know, mm. um, this, the grievances of history which, I mean, if they wanted to actually do something constructive with the wounds of history, mm. then they would try to heal them, no? The, a truth commission. But they seem to realize that you can win Indian, uh, you can win full majority in the Lok Sabha without giving a single Muslim a ticket. Mm. And there is, you know, I mean, let's face it, underneath the surface, um, there is a, a hatred of Muslims in India that we have to accept exists. That right? never existed. Uh, no, 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 no. It always did? Always did. Uh, always did. I mean, I'd be truthful with you. My daddy, after partition, um, you know, would uh, would not allow, uh, what is it, halal or jatka, whichever one it is, meat to come into the thing. Halal. I, I, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and she hated Muslims. Mm. Now, it might be because of partition that she hated them. Mm. But I know with a lot of the, you know, the families that, that I grew up, other than in the schools where 
the medium is English, hmm. there Hindus and Muslims don't mix, hmm. castes don't mix. Hmm. You know, so those divisions are what they are have exploited very well. And you know, then when you want to, when you failed economically and really failed because his image has been very damaged in this past, um, since he became prime minister the second time. Mm. You know, it, it, he was very keen at one point to be seen as an international statesman, mm. right? Mm. And um, now every article that, that I read in, in any major Western publication attacks him. There's no, mm. you know, I mean, they think they compare him to Erdogan and Orban and, mm. you know, I mean, they see India as moving in a um, radical direction. No, in a fascist direction. Mm. Now, you know, this there's something that I learned from Vidya Naipaul, which mm. I've never, he said, it's very dangerous to use European words to understand what's going on in India. So, you know, it's very easy to say, and the, the Congress loves this, oh, fascism, fascism, and, you know, uh, communism, and blah, blah, blah. It's not fascism in, in that sense, but it is an idea of division for power. Mm. And, you know, they're going to end up dividing this country. And, you know, I mean, on the other side, we have a goof, you know. So uh, he's the, and there's no one to challenge him except that goof, hmm. you know. So he's he's really in clover at the moment. So if if he thinks hatred is, is the way forward, that's what we're going to get. Hmm. That's, that's not a very hopeful picture of, um, has it, has it been similar in the past? since you've been looking into this with as much say, depth and complexity as you are right now, or is it like this unique dark moment in the history of, of, of modern India? Like what, what, how do I see this? See, I've been a journalist for something like 50 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, during the emergency was one of the darkest moments in Indian history. Mm -hmm. And there was press total press censorship. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, the it, it strengthened the press, that censorship. It made us want to fight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we defied, I mean, certainly the statesmen where I was working, you know, defied Indira Gandhi. You know, if they uh, said you must print this picture of Sanjay Gandhi on the front page tomorrow, which they did, mm -hmm. then we would put it in such a way that he looked like an idiot, you mm -hmm. know? So, and in, initially we, there were blank spaces where they eliminated stories and all that kind of thing. What I'm really worried about at the moment, what makes this moment most frightening for me as a journalist, is that the media has been managed in in the most in the most in the most dangerous way that you can imagine. I don't know how they've done it, but there are at least four independent, uh, you know, news channels, Hindi and English that are actually uh, government spokesmen. They, they're vehicles of government propaganda, right? Mm. And those are the ones that stirred up all this thing about Sushant Singh Rajput and the, you know, the, it was as if they were acting at the behest of someone. Mm. You know, if you switched channels, if you went from one famous anchor to the next famous anchor's show, it was the same story. Mm. First, that attempt to prove that, he, that Sushant Singh Rajput was killed. Mm. Then the attempt to prove that it, it, he was killed by Riya Chakravarti. Then that she had stolen his money. They they brought in the heavy artillery. Mm. The, you know the, the enforcement directorate 
Mm. And this is our money. It's people's money that was used mm. on a on a lost cause. I mean, mm. on a stupid idea, because actually all of that could have been done in a much simpler way without you know using the media mm. to 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 do all this. But the media exposed itself, you know, mm. uh, in this. You knew exactly what they were going to say when. The, the the young girl was killed was raped and killed in Hathras. Mm. Which channels? And you still know that. Mm. So, which is why probably we've now heard. I don't know whether you saw Amit Shah's latest interview. Mm. He's just done an interview two days ago, three days ago, where it's it's as if he's you know been reincarnated after COVID and come back as a different person. He's, and he's he's, he's actually attacked the trolls. Mm. His own troll army. He's actually said that the uh, the governor of Maharashtra w- should had no business to be telling the chief minister, you know, whether he should be more secular or less secular. He, there were three or four things he said which were extraordinary, mm. you know. And suddenly there's been uh, uh, the noise on those very channels has softened. It has come down a bit. Mm. But but they've exposed themselves. So you know, I mean, who cares now what they say? I mean, I, I've resolved. I wouldn't I wouldn't go onto one of those channels right. if it was the, the only channel left. Right, right. It's you know, I was um, I was reading a book about Iran, and while I was reading it, I was thinking of like it, it was talking about the Islamic Revolution and how the government structure has been since, and how like the socio political climate is, and all of that. And there were a few. I'd say comparable coordinates between what I saw happen then in Iran or read happened then in Iran and I see right now. And one of those things is this idea of uh, West toxified. That's a term uh, the Iranians use a lot. If somebody wears a tie, they're West toxified. If somebody is um, fond of Western pop culture or, you know, so on and so forth, it's West toxification. And Iran is in a, like, I'm not trying to compare them one is to one India and Iran, but it's in a unique place by itself, but it's, it's similar. Like, what I've also seen is this um, this rejection, this renunciation of what can be borrowed from the West. When you said, you know, how Naipaul says we should not borrow Western concepts to understand the Indic landscape, the words. Indian landscape. Western, Word, words. Western words, right? And, and 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 that's a fair thing to say. But on the other hand, we have the idea that Mr. Modi, because he's only educated through the RSS, has a very limited worldview. And so if there is a sort of a toxification that can seep from the West, or an import that might not be exactly accurate that can see from the West. And then there is a limitation that comes from our education system for that matter, even RSS education system being so limited. Like how do I imagine the perfect educational specimen? What does that constitute for, for India? Um, We have to, for a start, very consciously uh, decolonize the education system which, uh, you know, sadly, Nehru never did. Hmm. So, uh, you know, we produced at people like me, little English, black English girls, you know, who were going to little English schools. And, you know, we read, do you know that I spoke only Punjabi till I was, till I went to school Hmm. and I came out speaking only English. And, you know, I mean, I I didn't even know, and I I have a great fondness for uh, Urdu poetry. The only poetry I really like to read is Urdu poetry. I'd never read, I'd never heard of Ghalib. No, I had heard of him, but I'd never read any of this. You know, it was all Shelley and Keats and Enid Blyton and all that kind of thing. Now, what has happened is that that kind of 
um, that kind of colonization of the public education system that the British set up has gone all the way down to the very bottom. So, you know, uh, they, they had at the top, they wanted people who could become officials of the empire. Lower down, they just wanted serfs, right? Mm -hmm. So you go, to, if you go into a village school, you come out without being able to read a, a novel. Mm. You, know, you might read Premchand as part of your, um, you know, your syllabus, mm. but that's it. You know, you you come out. Uh, I'll give you an example that Ajit, this man that I live with, he went. He took Amish Tripathi to an engineering college. You know, um, and he, he, you know, he, Amish started. Amish is a big promoter of Indian heritage. And he said um, uh, to them, he said, how many of you have read mathematics? And everyone put their hands up. And, and he said, how many of you know about Bhaskaracharya? Hmm. And not one or one hand went hmm, up. Hmm, hmm, okay. hmm. Similarly with Mr. Modi, you know, he opened a hospital uh, early in his first term. I think with the Ambani's, it was their hospital. And he talked about how there must have been plastic surgery in India because Ganesh was given an elephant. Right. Now, actually, there was plastic surgery in India. The first plastic surgeon in the world, or probably the first surgeon, was Sushrut. Hmm. But it didn't occur to him, having grown up in a totally Indian environment, that Sushrut is who he should have mentioned. Do you know that if you have a nose job now to this day, they still use the method that Sushrut invented. Mm. And in, in surgical colleges all over the world, you have a little bust of Sushrut. But how many Indian children know that we did actually invent plastic surgery? Mm. Now, you know, there were great achievements from, you know, in, in India's past, hmm? mm. which we, we don't teach our children. So what are you teaching them? You're still not teaching them why they should love India why they should respect our civilization, our culture, why Sanskrit is important. Atish, as he must have told you, discovered writing from learning Sanskrit. Hmm. You know, I, I mean- We never got around to that, but that sounds um, wonderful. He actually realized that there was this huge wealth of Sanskrit literature that he had never read, hmm. you know? And so then he went out and learned Sanskrit, but he couldn't learn it here. Because here they just teach you how to, you know, a few shlokas and, you know, to, to have conversation in Sanskrit. He had to go to Oxford or Columbia or somewhere. Columbia from mm. Shelley, mm. Pollock, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, what are these flaws in our education system that need to be rectified? Does he recognize them? Does he acknowledge them? It's, it saddens me because I really was considered a bhakt. Mm. That, that, that the limitations with which his own education was uh, contaminated, you know, continue to uh, continue to prevent him from seeing the bigger canvas. Right, right, right. So on one end, it's like, to, to Mr. Modi and BJP's credit, they did identify, from what I'm understanding up until, is that they did identify a very solid problem that was created by very active agents in India's history. They try to, they promise to resolve it on the economic front. They promise to resolve it on the cultural front. The yeah. economic front never showed its head. In fact, what did show it its head was distorted policies like demonetization and the lot. 
and the cultural front was sort of given a second rate corrupted solution almost as if it was not tried prop as if like there was no proper thought put behind it or proper yeah. educators or whatever thought leaders were put behind it am i correct in understanding the di- yes. diagnosis yeah right yeah and and so my my question remains because there is so many people who um i respect and i listen to when it comes to to say the political understanding of the world who are sort of losing the last ray of hope with india like i've i've literally sat in conversations where people have been so unhopeful about how um things might pan out in the future as if the last possible leader that we could have imagined that this this last breath of fresh air this um last hero that was come some messiah that was you know you used the word messiah that was supposed to come our way at which point i have to show you the book yes. that you you have to talk about right okay, yes hang on go for it have you read it i i know i have uh, i've gone through enough parts reviews whatever 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 conversations you've had in interviews have had about it and that's sort of what i'm trying to get at like what happened to the messiah where is the messiah in the title there's a question mark yes i see that is he the messiah right and and the last um the epilogue uh, is is titled hope against hope hmm uh, you know i mean so i also am among those who i'm just hoping hmm. that um you see our only hope politically is that somehow the congress party um will find itself out of the clutches of sweet little rahul and his sweet little sister and that they will discover that you cannot build this party that has turned into a private limited company from the top you've got to build it you don't need a new leader mm-hmm. you know you need what you need is um you need to build the party up in the villages There was a time when you would you could not go when I was just covering journalism when I was doing reporting in the 70s and the 80s in every village there would be some guy with a little gandhi topi who was the congress representative you know he would be from the seva dal or whatever and they were always there everywhere you went you don't see anyone like that anymore hmm. right under sonia gandhi almost every mp that they have now in the lok sabha is the son of a of a politician they closed the doors to 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 good people doing great work at the grassroots level in in every area you know they they just closed those doors and they allowed it to be turned into a political party of heirs right and in politics heirs don't work they didn't even work for that long when there were real kings mm. right when it was absolute monarchy didn't work so well it's certainly not in electoral democracies so and you know because there's no other political party showing up hmm. we've got to hope that the congress revives itself hmm. but there are some young leaders that i see whose views i don't agree with at all they're stuck in marxism and you know stuck in the 60s idea of communism and all that sort of thing but chandrashekhar azad is a, is a very inspiring dalit leader i think kanaiya kumar who i don't agree with at all but you know he's he gives you hope you know that there may be a, a generation your generation you know mm-hmm. in the 20s that would be ready to come forward after they finish their education and come into public life and start thinking of it as public service again mm-hmm. you know instead of political power mm-hmm. now unfortunately 
with Modi. I, I actually, you know, Arun Jaitley was a friend of mine for many years. And I asked him early on in Modi's first term, I said, get, throw them out of Latian's Delhi. What mm. are they doing sitting on in properties that are worth hundreds of crore rupees when they can't give people housing, you know? And he said, we'll do that in the second term. But that hasn't happened. Instead of that, we've got the prime minister trying to build his own house mm. on near India Gate, you know, on the Central Vista. Mm. You know, and you know, it's, it, it's less bhavans, we're getting more bhavans on the Central Vista. So that's very worrying because, you know, you can, um, there's no harm in re-examining history. But if you want to stamp it out, you know, in this way, um, then, you know, it becomes a bit kind of dodgy. But it, you, sh you mustn't give up hope because actually... Um, Do you know that shit? No, please enlighten me. Uh, before he went So, you know, I mean, we've been through hell many times before. Right. So you, know, you mustn't give up hope. Right. You sort of cut out that for a second, but you back now, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I incorrect in understanding that what we covered up until we did show your book was sort of kind of the thesis of the book itself. The fact that you went from a yeah. journey of actually being fond of Mr. Modi to then mm. being disenchanted or disillusioned with, you know, his yeah. policies and the way things were working. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's really, um, uh, you know, I really believe that books, um, political books should not be about theory because I'm not very good at theory anyway. Mm -hmm. They should be about, it, I like to read anecdotal books, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, for instance, for me, uh, you know, the uh, Nadezhda Mandelstam, I always use her as an example, mm -hmm. who was married to the poet Osip Mandelstam. And her book, Hope Against Hope, has told me, you know, told me more about Stalin's Russia, the Stalin Soviet Union, than I learned from all the big tomes that I've read and, you know, plowed through. So this is in that same vein. It's a book about the, um, the journey of Modi, uh, why he came to power, hmm. what he did in his first term. I think it's a pretty fair account of what he did in his first term. Hmm. And where and it ends with the citizenship uh, act and the protests and and ends you know really with uh, not so much disillusion but with a kind of desperate hope hmm. that he will somehow find uh, himself you know hmm. back because he's all we've got at the moment you know hmm. so uh, he really has to stop being you know it's become too much about him hmm. you know as happens with a lot of political leaders, they begin to think of themselves mm. rather than of what they want to do. And I think that if he would just let, for instance, the economy go, just say, you know, I'm all for private enterprise, whether you're on a puttery or whether you're in Ambani's, you know, a huge tower in Bombay, you have the freedom to invest, to make money, do what you like and we will only regulate. Mm. So he needs to withdraw the state from the, econ the economy completely. 
you know, except as a regulator. I don't know whether they let him do that because the bureaucrats, you know, don't like it and politicians make money by controlling mm. industry. Um, and politically, he really needs to start um, thinking, you know, thinking of the bigger canvas, you know, of we really do have a heritage in India, which we can be very, very proud of. And it's not about hating Muslims. It's not about love jihad and garvapsi and all this rubbish. It is about great, you know, achievements in antiquity. Mm. You know, it's about discovering mathematics and surgery. And, you know, I mean, I think Willie Dalrymple is already mm. doing a book on, you know, the influence of India in Southeast Asia. Mm. And, you know, how did, you know, India, how did India's uh, ideas be so compelling that the whole of Southeast Asia adopted mm. them? Our religion, everything came from India. Mm. Mm. That India, we need to be proud of. We need to tell our children about it. We need, you need to tell your grandchildren about it. But how are we going to do that if we not, you know, we haven't been taught that? Mm. And the mistake in not teaching it was giving over history textbooks to Marxist historians, you know, mm. who didn't see um, anything worthwhile mm. that India had done before Islam came along, mm. you know? And who tried to cover up, to pretend that really temples were only broken as an economic uh, thing, not because it is in the Quran that you must break idols and you must kill idol worshippers. That's in the Quran, mm. right? Now let's acknowledge that and say, you know, get real. Stop this, these ideas. You know, mm. improve yourself. You know, mm. um, you don't kill a, a history teacher in France right. because you think that you know blasphemy itself is a primitive idea get over it right you know mm -hmm. and if we confront these things through debate <clears throat> there's still hope <clears throat> oh my mm -hmm. god there is still hope now that i'm losing my voice i think we have to wrap it up right no? right absolutely no 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 this has been an absolute pleasure um hopefully we'll have one more conversation soon because i have so many unanswered questions still but thank you so much for doing this you're very welcome and i want to promote my book once more right okay? no i will and i will I read it and tell everyone to read it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I will I will definitely put the links in the description and everything for everybody who wants to buy this. I'm, I think the book's available on Amazon. I think it's available on Flipkart. I yeah. think it's available on Goodreads. Yeah. Everywhere there is, yeah. there's beautiful reviews written out for the book. I am myself uh, adding it to my library right there. So thank you so you much. You must read it. You'll enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I, I think so. I think so. Since I've been looking into it, I think that's the next book I'm going to read. Good. Thank, thank you so you. much, Ms. Singh. Have a great thank day. You. You too.